Today, I really want to talk about how to stay in the garden. Because last week I talked about, or last, I'm going to say that a couple times, but you know, the last time I spoke. It's not about re-entry. We do have access to re-enter. So I gave you a portion, but, it, but ra- rather than coming and going, let's dwell. So how do we dwell? Good question. Thank you, sir. Um, so, turning to Genesis, I, I was reading uh, just all through the two and three chapters, and some thi- things really jumped out at me, <coughs> and I'm just taking some word-for-word stuff out of this, and, and, and it, anyways, it's just, it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you some opinions that I drew out of it. I'm not in love with them because that would not be good. That's a joke. You'll get it later. Um, But anyways, something that didn't happen, when God said, let's create man in our image, it's not recorded that he told Adam, we made you in our image. It's not recorded. Now, whether or not it happened, I don't know, but it's not recorded. So, the implication in reading it for me is that I have to assume that he didn't, that the Godhead didn't say we made you in our image. And they said, made everything else, did all the stuff. And then he realized we need this guy helper. And if you <coughs> go to the word helper, it's fascinating. And I'm not going to get into it, but you should go and you should look at the Hebrew word for helper in that case. If you want to do some Bible study on your own, you should go and you should look and see what that word means. And then the origin of that word. It goes as far to say protector. There's some parallels in all of that, but I want the Lord to minister to you. If you are so bold to go and look at that stuff, I want the Lord to speak to you about it more than me speak to it, because he might speak something different to you. But the point is, Adam needed a helper. And after all the beasts and, uh, and all the animals and all the stuff were named and they, they, looked, they said, there's not one suitable. So they put Adam to sleep and out of his body they formed a woman. That was his helper. So being that God never said, hey man, we made you in our image. I imagine part of the help was that they would see each other and see God and realize that they were in his likeness. That's a little deep. If I didn't have a mirror, how would I know what I look like? So if I didn't know what I look like, In a, in a, and I know, and I know, because God put me to sleep and pulled something out of my body and made somebody else. I know this person is out. He said, this is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. But he knew that Eve was from him. I would imagine that Adam could look at Eve and look at God. And, and in my most simplest mind, because it's like the first people created, like they must have been simple. I don't know. But I would have assumed that like somehow we all look alike. I just, I, I just imagine that. So that none of that is like, bi- I don't have biblical proof of that. I'm just thinking of the context in between the threads of the story. But what I do know is that when, in, in starting in chapter 3, when it's th- he starts saying, hey, the serpent came along. And he said, hey, surely did God tell you you can't eat anything in any, anywhere? And he said, no, he said he can't eat from that one. He said, surely he didn't mean you would die. But that he knew you would become like him. So <coughs> to me, in my heart, and what I know to be true for me, is the sin wasn't eating the apple. And it wasn't the death either. It was that they were created in God's image, and the sin was believing the lie 
that they weren't like God. That was the great deception. Created in the image, surely he knows that if you eat that, you'll be like him. We don't have to do anything external to be like him. I'm going to prove that to you. Now you're like, no, this is getting heretical. This guy's, I'm telling you, Jesus paid for something very specific outside of salvation. I think it's funny that my wife chose a song. I didn't know the song she would choose, talking about offense, and I was like, I'm probably going to be a little offensive today. I think I'm going to say some things. I, I, I told him in the prayer room, I was like, I'm afraid I'm going to be offensive. So when that song was playing, I was like, this is hilarious. Um, but after she listened to the serpent, it says she saw that the fruit was good for eating and would provide knowledge and wisdom. She quit seeing the likeness and saw an alternative. That's powerful. And then what happened next? All at once, one, two, three. She ate. <laughs> I thought I'd try something fun. I know, right? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> no, but she ate. And communion got us removed out of the presence. Eating from the wrong thing got us removed out of the presence of God. We have to know who we are. So I'm just going to continue this, <laughs> and then we'll, we'll talk about who we look like and how we know who we are. But this is funny. I might have I bought a farm just for this book, this book as we we're cleaning out. And, and listen, I live in, like, I don't know, what would be Baptist land. Like, I don't live in a land of John G. Lake necessarily. Um, so this is crazy that this book was in my house, and I started, like, looking through it, and some things stood out to me. But the, uh, one of the things he said was, one of the most difficult things to bring into the spirit of people is that the spirit of God is a tangible substance that is the essence of God's own being. So I don't think that, you know, necessarily I have what it takes to get you to get that, but, you know, I'm going to try. Are you guys with me? I'm, I'm with you, too. Barely. I'm still, that Father Pookie Bear thing is going to, it's not done ministering to me. All right. So in some of I'm just going to read it and ask you a question. This is Romans 7 verse 13. So did someone or I'm sorry, so did something meant to be good? This is talking about the law now. Did, so so did something meant to be good become death to me? Certainly not. It was not the law, but sin unmasked that produced my spiritual death. The sacred commandment merely uncovered the evil of sin so it could be seen for what it is. For we know that the law is divinely inspired and comes from the spiritual realm. But I am a human being made of flesh and trafficked as a slave under sin's authority. I am a mystery to myself, for I want to do what is right, but end up doing what is my moral instincts condemned. And if my behavior is not in line with my desire, my conscience still confirms the excellence of the law. And now I realize that there is no longer, that it is no longer my true self doing it, but an unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity. For I know that nothing good lives within my flesh of my fallen humanity. The longings to do what is right are within me, but willpower is not enough to accomplish it. My lofty desires to do what is good are dashed when I do things I do, uh, that I want to avoid. So if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it is not my identity doing it, but an unwelcome intruder of me from being who I really am. Have you guys 
that's, that's the Passion Translation, but in some form or fashion, have you heard that? Have you heard that as a justification that you're just a sinner and you're always going to be a sinner and everything you're ever going to do is sin-related? Because I've been told when I said, hey, I'm not a sinner, I've had people bring that scripture to me and say, but it says in Romans 7, you are. Well, friend, you didn't read Romans 8, but I'm going to get to that. I'm going to go to Galatians 5. And this is, in, in Galatians, right, if you're not familiar, Paul was writing to them to confront false teaching. He said, I don't know who came to you and confused you and deceived you, but the real gospel is the one I preached. And that's where this, that's where, um, that's where this te- this letter came from, and it was it was people coming in to re-preach the law, which is what Romans seven is, and I'm telling you that's getting preached in churches, that 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 is mixing law with grace. Something the Holy Spirit showed me last week is that that far, um, I don't know what side it would be, but this side over here, because I don't want to say left or right, because then you'll start thinking conservative and liberal, and I don't want that. That on one far extreme. You have people who completely deny the spirit and only focus on the law. And that's where condemnation is born. And they do that out of response of fear for the Holy Spirit. And then on the other side, people only want to preach grace, but it's absence of the Holy Spirit because they're scared of the Holy Spirit too. And that's where you get hyper grace. You can't preach the gospel without the Holy Spirit. You can't understand the, the gospel without the Holy Spirit. You can't understand Jesus without Holy Spirit. And that's something that was said by somebody else that I'm like, Jesus came to show us the Father. I can't help but think that he came to teach us about the Holy Spirit. And it started challenging me. Go back and read all the, uh, the parables as if he's teaching about the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, I'm not saying uh, definitively because, so, you know, like, uh, I'm not going to create a theology out of it, but I think it would minister to us if we did. Because he said, he said the kingdom realm is expanding in some of you as he was teaching. I think it was the awareness of what was coming. And, and also keep in mind that the Holy Spirit also empowered people while Jesus was on the earth, too. So, like, there's this thing it's not just he had to leave like it was in operation i just think we got more of a full measure of it when he left and came and dwelt in us but in uh galatians chapter 5 it says as you yield uh, sorry let me talk to you on verse 16 as you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the holy spirit you will abandon the cravings of your self-life For your self-life craves things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from leaving free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. So then the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the Spirit. Say self-life of the flesh. New creation life of the Spirit. Okay, but when I was just making sure you're awake, but when you are brought into the full freedom of the spirit of grace, you will no longer be living under the domination of the law, but soaring above it. The cravings of your self life are obvious sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God. Okay, so these are all like, yeah, not me, not me. (laughs) I'm good. I got all that under control. Manipulating others, yeah, that's good too, that's not me. Hatred for those who get in your way, now it's getting more relative, I think. I mean, if, if you are being honest with yourself, that other stuff could apply too. But now it's getting to where you, you, you can't stiff arm anything. Senseless arguments. Resentment of others who are favored. Temper tantrums. 
angry quarrels. And I was really starting to sound like day-to-day life. Only thinking of yourself. Being in love with your own opinions. I'm guilty of that. Being envious of the blessing of others. Murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behaviors. So those are fruits not of the Spirit. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love. Say divine love. That was better. I think you guys are... In all of its various expressions, I'm just going to say that it's very cool that the passion kind of simplifies it, that the fruit of the Spirit is divine love, and everything that precedes that is of its various expressions. So what comes, what we've taught is like the fruits of the Spirit, we just pick one, whatever. But the thing is, is those other things pour out of you if you have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. It's like the juice when you bite the grape or whatever, you know, the good fruit, the good fruit, right? So when we, when somebody takes a bite out of us, if we have the Holy Spirit on us, they should get these other things. Peace that subdues. Patience that endures. Kindness in action. A life full of virtue or goodness. Faith that prevails. Gentleness of heart and strength of the spirit. Now, it doesn't say self-control here. What? Joy. I, f- I skipped Joy. Is on the other page. Joy that overflows. Sorry. And strength of spirit being the last one, not self-control. That self-control thing is interesting. I haven't been able to validate it through a Google search, but they say that King James added the self to it to make it something that you have to do yourself or whatever. I don't know. You'd have to look into that more. I'm still looking into it, but it's something that sparked curiosity in me. The way that Brian Simmons says tr- uh, strength of the spirit, uh, what we do know, according to the, the uh, footnotes here, is although the word self is not found in this verse, most translations render it a self-control. The word is actually lordship, or by implication, strength of the spirit. Imagine that. Instead of self-control, it's surrender to the king. That just changes everything because we, we think self-control and then like we got to get ourselves together. We got to control ourselves. We got to do all this stuff. But if we actually surrender to the king. And really love should force like should should be love should produce lordship. So if we just stopped right there, and I've done this, so I'm preaching from something I've done. I've, I've literally stopped there. I, and, and, and in full transparency, the reason I would stop is because everybody knows the fruits of the Spirit. I'm not going to keep reading. Boy, was I messed up. Because what that did is it created this weird, like, theological idea in my mind that, um, well, if I'm doing these things, these not fruits of the Spirit, if I'm doing these things, then I'm not over here with the spirit. And so then this incompatible and click conflicting force is coming on and I gotta, I gotta go back to the spirit and get out of the flesh, which in result is a works-based mentality. But it was a good gauge so that I could see like, okay, I'm over here, I need to be over there. But it's not, this scripture's not meant to be a gauge, it's meant to be a reminder. Because if you keep reading, which you should always do that because there's always something better than the one where you stopped at. It says, never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. Keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, have already experienced the crucifixion. For everything connected with our self-life was put to death. Everything that was connected to our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with our Messiah. So then what two compatible conflicting forces are there? Like, 
I get it. The reality of it is, like, we can still see our self-life, but that's really dead. And I think this is sort of like this faith that would move mountains is like if we just had a mustard-sized faith that we're really dead to this stuff, it would actually die. It would actually die. But we want to hold on to the, well, I'm just to this and I'm just to that. That's idolatry, just so you know, because it's something other than what God's saying about you. You're putting yourself on an altar because what he's telling you isn't good enough. Does everybody understand that because of Jesus, you're viewed as righteous as he is to the Father? Do you understand that? Do you believe that? Yeah, most of the time. Because that's important because you have to, like, you have to know who you are to understand why right, like, and how, and all these other things, like, the foundation is, okay, I'm righteous, no, and, and I can't work my way out of it, because I didn't work my way into it, I didn't earn it, I couldn't toil hard enough, ask the, ask the Israelites if they could get it, like, they should understand that there was nothing they could do to be right with God, until Jesus. So yes, he came to save us. But he came to impart to us a life of the Spirit. Um, you can go to Romans 8 if you're reading along with me. Maybe it's time for a John G. Lake quote. They're fun. That one's for later. Wait. Yeah. No, this is, sorry guys, here we go. We're here. John G. Lake said it, not me. Ready? The real miracle of the Holy Ghost at Pentecost was not the outward demonstration of tongues, that but in etc., but it produces such intense unselfishness in the hearts of all baptized that they each sold their lands and estates and parted their money to every man as he needed. They were moved by God into one family. Their brother's interest was equal to their own. That was blessed are the poor in spirit. He's writing a chapter on the poor in spirit. But, you know, it, it just ministered to me that, like, we've minimized the Holy Spirit to speaking in tongues, maybe. Like, like that's not the only thing. In fact, the church divided over the idea of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and, and some went towards the tongues, and some went towards, like, the desire to be holy. And I think there's a line right down the middle that if you are baptized by the Holy Spirit, you're going to speak in tongues and be holy. There's no division. And so what happened was people fell in love with their preferences and decided they would go their own way. Both are religious. Don't be confused. We can judge other people for not believing in that, but, but if that's all we believe it is, then we're as wrong as they are. It's way bigger than that. You guys with me? I love you guys. Not cookie bear. Did you say cookie bear? Cookie? Come on, man. Pookie, bro. Pookie bro. Sorry, inside joke. 
<laughs> I'm going to tell you the joke so you can be in on it. So we went to a John G. Lake, uh, I'm sorry, I'm in John G. Lake land. What's the guy? Curry Blake conference, and they had cheesecake. And me and Rob like cheesecake. Where's Rob? So Josh was with us, and he started calling us cheesecake bros. I don't even think he knew my real name for the first six weeks that we knew each other. He just called me, what's up, cheesecake bro? <laughs> it's okay to laugh. <laughs> Back to the word, guys. Okay, so, so just in verse 1, and I might read a lot of chapter 8 here. If I didn't tell you, I'm in chapter 8, verse 1. Keep in mind. That most of the end of verse 7 is talking about this duplicity. But Paul is not talking about his current status. He's talking about his status as it was according to the law. So then in 80 says, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in the life union with Jesus, the anointed one. For the law of the spirit of life flowing through the anointed anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by the weakness of human nature. Yet God sent his son in a human in, in human form to identify with human weakness. Clothed with humility, God's son gave his body to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn the guilt and power of sin. So now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us. And we are free to live not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. Those who are motivated by the flesh pursue what benefits themselves. But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. This could be translated doing what pleases God. Just to like take the spirituality-ness out of it and put it to practical use, you want to please God. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the spirit finds life and peace. I want this to strike your hearts. I want this to pierce you so deeply that you will like never go back to thinking anything other than what the Bible says about you. Because I'm not telling you this is my opinion. This is the word. In fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction. Because it cannot. For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. Yikes. No wonder, I'm, man, I'm going to get in trouble. No wonder we come in here and say, like, please, God, please, God, please, God. Because we've been out in the world in our flesh all week. And we think we got to come back in here and say, hey, uh, let's get right with God. There is no separation, and we need to be in the spirit all the time. Because if we're in the spirit, then what we come in here and do will be an overflow of what's been in us all week. And to forget even if we go and evangelize, I'm just talking about our personal life. And I'm guilty of this, guys. I'm preaching to myself, literally. Like, I started getting this revelation. It started changing things in me. And then I went back to kind of grumbling under my breath when my wife said something to me. It's a challenge. But it doesn't mean that my flesh isn't dead. It doesn't make it less true if I have to fight for what's true. Jesus had to rebuke the devil whenever the devil lied to him. We just let it come in and run all over us. And every form of lie and everything in between that we can possibly do. Yeah, you got it right, man. We, uh, sorry, get, uh, Jesus, help me. Am I speaking truth? 
Do you guys resonate or is it just me? Am I the only one? I didn't think so. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm not on an island alone. Like, we call ourselves family. Where was I? What verse? Can somebody, who was paying attention? Thank you. That was a challenge. I knew where I was. In fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction because it cannot. For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. But when the spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by your flesh, but by the spirit. Say, I'm dominated by the spirit. Now get fired up and just shout it with confidence, not like I'm not sure if I'm dominated by the spirit. Like say it like you're dominated by, I'm dominated by the spirit. Yeah, that's a declaration. And if you are not joined to the spirit of the anointed one, you are not of him. Yeah. Now Christ lives his life in you. That ought to bring you some joy. And, <laughs> and even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, his life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. You're fully accepted. Every one of you. Yes, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. So then, beloved ones, the flesh has no claims on us at all. And we have no further obligation to live in obedience to it. For when you live controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. Imagine if this became a life or death situation, not a behavioral issue. Write that in your notes. What if this became a life or death situation and not a spiritual issue? Wait. That's not what I said. Don't write that down. I'm confused. <laughs> There's something wrong. There's something wrong with that. I, I, I got to tweak that a little bit. I, 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 I might not have said it how I heard it. I'm still working on, like, allowing myself to be ADHD and then receive at the speed that he speaks to me because I didn't have that in my notes. You guys are like, bless his heart. I know my wife is. She's like, bless me too. But if the life of the spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, we then taste his abundant life. No lack. No spirit can come in and deceive you or torment you or anything else. It's totally free. It is for freedom that he sets you free. For he who he sets free is free indeed. There is no more bondage. I believe people need deliverance, but I also believe that, like, we are to move past deliverance. And if we would come under the yoke of the anointed one, Jesus, he would actually, like, there would be, there's no room for another person in that yoke. We're yoking up to some demon. Let's get under the yoke of Jesus, and let's let him pull the plow. So the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. That's what Michael was talking about. What would be deemed immature by the world, moving by your impulses, is actually called fully mature in the kingdom. So how then should we see ourselves? Good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> could be but I'm going to go somewhere else for a minute um, <laughs> this and the reason I'm shifting gears to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is because this has been a word for a couple of years you can go back and it, it's been threaded in messages and everything and it started actually with Donna 
who's the most prophetic administrative person we know. She's incredible, and she's in the back right now teaching our kids. That's a different story. But anyways, <coughs> she shared this, and it hasn't stopped since. It is a constant reminder. So back to the garden image, the likeness thing, seeing, looking at each other. Like when I see you, I should see Jesus. And when you see me, you should see Jesus. When I see you, you, you know, and this is how it should all be. It doesn't. We end up seeing each other's flaws and stuff. And then we judge each other because, like, my flaw is not their flaw. And this weird, twisted thing starts happening. And then sometimes it gets so bad that church is split up and there's tons of division and everything like that. Praise God, that's not happening here. But it does happen. People leave all the time because of these little weird intricacies. I don't know. Intricacies. Thank you. Yes. She is my helper. She's a good one of people. So starting in verse 7, just to recapture this law idea, okay? Because I know I asked you, so how do we see ourselves? But let's recapture the idea of the law and so we can see the compare and contrast. In verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory though it produced death. The Israelites couldn't bear to gaze at the glowing face of Moses because of his radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory destined to fade away. Yet how much more radiant is the new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us? For if the former ministry of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? What once was glorious no longer holds any glory because of the increasing greater glory that has replaced it. That's deep. The fading ministry came with a portion of glory, but now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. So then, with this amazing hope living in us, this isn't out there. It's not that way or that. You don't have to drive to it. You don't have to go somewhere else to get it. It's in you. So then, with this amazing hope living in us, we step into the freedom and boldness to speak the truth. We are not like Moses. Say, I'm not like Moses. I can look like Moses, but I'm not like Moses. If you know, you know. We are not like Moses who used the veil to hide the glory to keep the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away. They couldn't look on it, but he, didn't, he had shame attached to that because he didn't want to see it fade. He didn't want them to see it fade. Their minds were closed and hardened. For ever, even to this day, that same veil covers over their minds when, they're, when they hear the words of the former covenant. The veil was not yet been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. So until now, whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts, so when you start getting into the, the, the works mentality, see, because the law represents you doing it yourself. You had to do things in order to be seen rightly. And then if you messed it up, you had to do things to get back clean again. So it's all about striving and self-effort. Every bit of the law, that's what it represents. That's why... Condemnation comes out of uh, a, a, a non-grace message without the Holy Spirit. It's like the worst because because then it's it's where condemnation and shame. You can't you you're not trying hard enough. You can't get it together enough. You're sh you you gotta think you know and all these things. But my challenge to you is 
if you couldn't save yourself, what makes you think you can work yourself into freedom? You can't. There's nothing you can do. But it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that will bring you out of the thing that you're struggling with, if you believe. If you don't, he doesn't even know you. This is heavy. It's life or death. It, and a spiritual issue. That's why I'm kind of like, don't like that thing. Don't write it. Cross out one line right through that. Now, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying that this is a free pass just to screw it up all the time. The Holy Spirit will minister to you if you allow it to, him to, however you want to couch that, and you will change. You will change. We are not like Moses. I read that. Thank you, ma'am. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. I think I followed Jesus for years with a closed heart. That's where I said that he was my savior, but he wasn't my Lord. I did what I wanted to do. I believed that he could save me, but I didn't know what lordship meant, and I didn't know how to even, I was too prideful. And I, I, I wrote this down, which I don't know if this was a song or where it came from. Somebody said something. But one of the biggest hindrances to growth is pride and insecurity. That's two. Two of the biggest hindrances is pride and insecurity. You have to be insecure first to be prideful. If you would actually be humble or actually know who you are, then you would have humility. Because Jesus did it all, all to this I.O. Jesus did it all. There's nothing you can do. So now you know who you are. And you can be humble and you can serve instead of being defensive and prideful and stiff-arming everybody because you don't want them to see how messed up you are. Now, the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit, and whenever and wherever the Lord is, there is freedom. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. There is no shame. There's no nothing. Veil removed. We are being transfigured into his very image. That word, you guys have heard this a thousand times because we've been talking about this verse off and on for a couple of years, is, meta, is, the, is the word metamorphosis, where that comes from. You should go through a metamorphosis when you're living a life by the Spirit. But we have to contend, and so sometimes there's this process. And sometimes it doesn't look pretty, and sometimes we have to really fight for what we believe. But if we actually believe that Jesus literally paid for all of it, not a little bit of it, not a portion of it, not most of it, not 99.9% .9 of it, but 100%. If we really believe that he did it all, And surrendered to that. And trusted yourself with that. Instead of trusting sinner, you trusted the Savior in you. Because that's what it is. It's like John calls the Holy Spirit the finisher of the curse. He's the only one that does it. He mentions it in John a few times in 1 John. It's called parakletos. The finisher of the curse. That's huge. And he's the one that Jesus loved the most, so he had to know what he was talking about. The finisher of the curse lived in you. 
He's more than a helper. He's more than an advocate. He's not a lawyer going before the judge to convince him why you should live another day. It is complete and total freedom. Living and dwelling inside of your being so that you can live totally free. Free from condemnation, free from the guilt of sin, but free. Free from any imp demon that wants to come and torment you with alcohol or any kind of drug addiction or anything else or whatever, you name it, you're free from it if you believe. You have to step into that. You have to receive that. Be a receptacle of truth. Be a receptacle of the finished work of the cross. This is John G. Lake again. When we examine the human heart and endeavor to discover what it is that retards our progress, I believe we find that pride in the human soul perhaps is the greatest difficulty we can overcome. Jesus taught us a wonderful humility, taking the place of a slave. So we are enjoined to thus treat and love one another. His presence with us, his presence in us, must produce in our hearts the same conditions that were in his own. It must bring into our life the same humility that was in him. It is one of the secrets of the entrance into the grace of God. That, that is love. That's why the greatest commandment is love. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's why, yeah, you can come up. Thank you. She's holding me down big time. Um, that's why communion worked in the book of Acts. Not because they ate and they drank. Like, like we did communion for a whole, like, couple months. I want to break you out of the idea of communion as eating and drinking. That's not communion. In 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses communion, and he says, why do you go and you drink and you eat and you do all this ahead of everybody else? You're doing it with the wrong spirit, and that's why some of you are sick. That's a complete paraphrase. But people weren't putting other people in mind. People weren't serving each other because they were operating incorrectly. They, they had a bad perspective. It was all about them. And this is all about everybody else. All this is about everybody else. It's not about your salvation. It's about everybody else's salvation. You're saved, praise God. It's about them out there. You can eat bread and drink wine until you're fat and drunk. That's not what communion is. That was symbolic. He said, do this and remember. I'm asking you to do it and remember that the spirit, the same, the same spirit that raised him from the dead is in you. I don't know if, did I read the one about Pentecost? It's not about speaking in tongues. It's about being one. And I thought today, because I'm a terrible administrator, well, I'm not. I rebuke that because I own a business and I should be good at that. But I thought it was Communion Sunday. And it's not. And rather than be like, hey, everybody, I need you to, I wasn't going to do that. But it's Communion Sunday. You don't have to eat anything. And you don't have to drink anything. You don't have to do anything at all. But what I want to invite you to do 
is to come up here and have a literal transaction between your faith and the Holy Ghost. A new, a fresh. You know, I probably launched this word prematurely last week about the repentance of grieving the Holy Spirit. But I believe the Acts Church, the message was the resurrection. That was the revival then. I believe this revival is of the Spirit. Because we can't have anything that lasts without him. It will always die because we can't do it ourselves. We have to fully take on everything that is true about the death, burial, and resurrection, which one is salvation, but two, and and two is righteousness, but three is the spirit of God dwells in you. And the old self-life is dead. So if you see senseless arguments rising up in you, it's an announcement that that old dead man is trying to be raised again, but that is not the dead man that Jesus raised. He didn't pay for that one. So you just kick a little dirt on it and leave it in the ground. When you start loving your own opinion over somebody else's and you start getting into a quarrel, kick a little dirt on it. Don't unbury the dead. I don't. Maybe denying the power of the Holy Spirit's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Maybe denying what he is doing or trying to do in you and stuffing it down and saying no because I'm a this or I'm a that. That can't happen. Is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But there's an invitation. There's an invitation to partake day and night and night and day in communion, in oneness, in unity with the Holy Spirit. And it's not a distance fantasy. It's not a theory or a thing. It's, it's literally the thing to be saved, to be made righteous, and to live under the power of God who raised Christ from the dead.